0: And a very interesting thing is that I sat with Bill and gave him a big spiel about number 1 that he's one of my favorite if not my favorite teacher and that his teaching through Psalms has been incredible. I just think he's been great, don't you? The other guys too, but but Bill is doing great. And but I said I made I made this big point that we talked about before, we're trying to go through more Psalms than just concentrate on one and do this deep, deep dive into every psalm. And we need to go quicker because, you know, it's 150 psalms. Blah, blah. You can imagine me going on, right? I think it goes, okay. I mean, we, uh, we kind of talked about it. And I said, but on the other hand, if you really feel like you need to... wrote him a note and said, after that big spiel and all that blah, 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 I can't do more than Psalm 34 today. <laughs> it's just too much. It's just too much in there. And uh, so we're just gonna see how it goes with going through Psalms. Are you okay with that? It's the word of God and we go to other scriptures and the goal was to kind of get through it in about three months. That's not gonna happen. All right, so pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the Psalms. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for eyes to see, uh, ability to read, (laughs) ears to hear, spiritual ears to hear. May those be open today. Have your way in Jesus' name, amen. So the question is, reach a very low point, and yet recover to give glory to God. Good. The answer for yous at home was yes, a resounding yes, and that's true here. Psalm 34, it's true of David. It says, the Psalm of David, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed, and verses 1 through 7, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This put him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. Beautifully spoken, but what's the backstory? Well, that's First Samuel 21, I'll read to you, verses uh, 10 through 15. It's after David is being chased by Saul, and after uh, he has taken the sword of Goliath from the priest's city, and there's a whole bad stuff that's going to happen there. And David arose in verse 10 and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. That's Philistine land. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to him one to another? And David, his ten thousands, uh-huh, uh-huh. I think it's right there in my Bible. Kind of was a rap song. Um, Saul has, the, isn't this the guy they sang about that's been killing us? David goes to a Philistine place to find refuge from Saul. Now, David took these words to heart in verse 12 and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretending madness in their hands, scratched on the door of the gate and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that you've brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Like, So they chase him away. You read the next, chapter 22, 1, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So this is David's background. He's giving God praise for delivering him. You know, if you can't recover from a low point and a stupid decision, there's no hope. If David can't, if we can't, there's no hope for us because I don't know about you, kind of do, (laughs) I kind of know about you because you're a lot like me. Sorry. You are. You are not personality, but have you messed up? Have you made stupid decisions? Have you done things that are regretful? (laughs) If we can't recover from those, nobody has any hope. And David, it's certainly true, he recovered from this. He escaped, looking to escape Saul's wrath. Rather than trust in God, he runs to the Philistine land, which makes no sense. They recognize him, he pretends madness, he escapes rather than being killed. God's promise to David came before this event. His promise that his son would rule on the throne forever. The Messiah would come through the lineage of David. And this this event happened, and God's promise to David uh, came to him before he sinned with Bathsheba. And then 2 Samuel 7, when God tells David, I'm going to build you a house that's going to last forever. You can't build me a house. When David sits before the Lord in an overwhelmed sense of awe of God, He says, oh, Lord, you know your servant. Like, you know me. You know that I'm weak, that I'm not Superman, that I'm not who I want to be. But David did not know when he said, you know your servant. Even with his self-knowledge, he did not know about himself what God knew about him. He didn't know he'd do this. He didn't know he'd do some of his other mistakes. And he didn't know that he would sin with Bathsheba and kill Uriah the Hittite so uh is it hittite did i say that right so uriah her husband so so david doesn't know himself fully and neither do i and neither do you you think you know yourself so well don't we you know we kind of go, well i know myself i know myself i would never do x y or z can i encourage you never to say i would never to how about say god keep me that i would never do such a thing yeah so From this point, he gathers his 3D army. You know what I mean by 3D? The discouraged, the discontented, and the indebted. Uh, That's what it tells us in chapter uh, 24, these guys who come and join him in, in the cave of Adullam. God strengthens him after this time. The credit goes to God, not David. But he does something that's really good. He blesses God and magnifies the Lord, makes his boast in God. Now, you can't make God bigger than he is, Right? To magnify him is that in your sight, in your, in your reality, you allow him to be exposed for how big he is, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and you could never exhaust how big God is in your life. You don't always see it, I know, but that's why we read these things. That's why God gave us his word. And we will also magnify and boast in God when we see his deliverance, not because of us, but because of him. More like in spite of us. Now, the arrogant, the humble will hear of it, be glad. What about the not respond properly to the issue of God's deliverance? You know, they just won't see it, they won't understand it, and they will mock it sometimes. I was that person, maybe some of you were too. God can change us. And it says, "I will pray. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth." I know people who try to fulfill that. Back in the early the Jesus movement days, they would there was a group of people, and they would come up and say, "How are you doing? Praise Jesus. God bless you. I praise Jesus." Or, "I want to come in the house and have something to eat. Thank you, Jesus." And they felt like they had to speak His name constantly. Um, you know, please don't be offended, but it was extremely annoying. And it is missing the point. It was missing the point. I get what they were trying to do, and we loved them, and, but it was tough. <laughs> it was like, could you stop? Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 7, 16 and 17, there's two verses. People say the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. Well, it's equaled by rejoice always, verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, and then the next verse is only three words, uh, pray without ceasing how do you pray without ceasing? Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hey, can I have that salt? Thank you, Jesus. Praise. Is that how you do it? That's probably not probably not how you do it. You know, when I was a kid, there in Beaverton, Oregon, before Beaverton was Nike land, um, you know, a uh, suburb, we would go down to the school, the grade school, Vos Elementary School, and they have the big field and the Uh, baseball diamonds and football fields, and me and my friends on a Saturday, we would go and we would play football all day long without ceasing. Now, that doesn't mean that the ball never sat and stopped, that we never sat down and drank a Coke, that we never stopped and interacted and made fun of each other or stood over somebody who got hurt and we went, come on, get up, it's okay, your arm will heal. We, but we played we would say we played football all day all day the play football mode okay is that a little easier to understand about praying without ceasing you're in the prayer mode so as soon as things come up you're immediately ready to throw the ball you're ready to pray it's happening on a regular continuous basis but it isn't like you have to be saying words every three words so you have to say a prayer the pressure is off the blessing is available, the relationship with God is that close, and it can be for you. It can be for you that you can learn to pray without ceasing. And it's better to learn to do that by choosing it than waiting till you can't help but pray because you're so distressed. Sometimes you're going to be distressed anyway. But how about we learn to be in contact with God and learn, and some, and really as as we bowed our heads to pray this morning in the prayer time, it was, in my mind it was like, Lord, it is so amazing to us and I'm so aware of our frailty that we have to ask you to help us to focus on you. It's, there's nothing wrong with this in the sense that it's okay that you get to ask God to help you focus. Am I the only one that has to ask God to help me focus on him and think about him and get my prayer right and my thought right? Am I? No. Do you realize what that says about us? How lame we are? We need God. You just do. And you know you do. So for anyone to get proud and arrogant about how I have a deep walk with God because I'm so spiritual, give us a break. You need God to help you think about God. And you need God to help you talk to God. And you need God to help you think rightly about God. And I could go down a list, and it's basically every single thing that is good. You and I need his help to do it. The humble will hear of it and be glad. And we shall exalt his name together, which is really great because um, with insight under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that it's not a lone ranger mentality. Old Testament or New Testament, it isn't about, I praise God, leave me alone. I go up in the woods and praise God. I hope you do. If you go in the woods, I hope you go in the woods and praise God. Great. But we shall exalt his name together is not just David's thought. It comes from the clarity of Scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so David doesn't, what I love about David is he does not waste time pining at all over that failure. Do you notice this about him? It tells us that he wrote this psalm after God delivered him. He doesn't give himself credit. Man, that drooling on my beard really helped. Scratching at the door, man, was I sharp. Thanks, God, for giving me that insight. He knew that it was God that delivered him, not his acting ability. He knew that. And and uh, he didn't. He also knew that what he did was stupid. <laughs> it was like, I, and that God delivered him not only from the trouble in the Philistines, but from his own stupidity. And uh, I love that that he didn't waste time in the psalm. I would have spent most of the psalm saying, "You know, I didn't mean to be that way. I hate it when I'm that way. You know, I'm trying to be better, and I just can't believe I do stuff like that." But I still. You know, you would just walk out the door and get away from me. David just says, thank God for his mercy and grace. And he didn't waste time pining over his failure. I can't believe I did that. I wonder sometimes, why can't we believe we did that? We must have thought we were pretty good. And it surprises us that we could do stupid stuff, sinful things. Are you surprised at yourself? You know, there's a certain part that's okay. It's like to be actually broken over your failure and to be humbled before God is a part of the deal. But God's deliverance catapults David. I like that word, so I wrote it down. I have no idea what it means. God's deliverance cathers in God's goodness. And he says their faces were radiant. You know, the goodness of God caused them to flow together is really a word for that radiance like streams joining together to form a mighty river is the way that word is used and it's translated for some reason their faces radiated you could run with that or you can go to the more basic understanding and whether the angel of the lord is jesus because a lot of times in the old testament when it says angel of the lord it's speaking about an appearance of christ before his birth on earth or whether it's an angel he sent either way He's encamping with us and is enough to deliver us from any demonic attack. And that's what David's experiencing. So, 8 through 14. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil. Wow. And your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Man, I'll just focus on one thing in here. Often as we hear when we're told to fear God, It is in opposition to or as opposed to fearing so many other things. The reason you're told to fear God is he's worthy of being reverenced and feared just all by itself. You don't need anything else. He's God. You're not. That should do it. But here's the deal. Almost always in Scripture, not always, but in a huge majority of the time, fear God is fear God instead of all these fears you're living in because often that's what's happening fears plural I sought the Lord and he and, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fear you know he delivered me from all my fear and from all my fears you know plural it's a healthy and holy way that diminishes us living in all these other fears and let it come out of your mouth. Think about what you let come out of your mouth. This idea, okay, we're not to do, oh, thank you, Jesus, praise you, Jesus. So can I have that stool? Thank you, Jesus, praise you. Okay, we're we're, we're not going there, right? We understand that's not necessary. But what is necessary? Think about how you use that do not bring glory to God. Not to make you feel guilty, to help you, to help you and I understand that you have an issue with your tongue. I have an issue with my tongue, and God wants to deliver us, obviously, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, so we know it goes to the heart. So what is in your heart? It's coming out of your mouth, and if you're a very quiet person who buttons your lip a lot, but between your ears, all those things... if If you were saying what you really wanted to say, you're in the same boat the rest of us big mouths are. You really are, to a degree. There's still a better thing to not say it, but but it doesn't deliver you from what's in your heart. And sometimes you need to see that. You know, be concerned for holiness includes, not just I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. It's what comes out of your mouth, and it's what you allow to come into your ears. And if you're constantly here, and this is a battle for us today because you can't see any media, and it's everywhere, without seeing and hearing things that are ungodly. It's very, very difficult, and it's important that we allow the Lord to purify our hearts and minds, and also our tongues. I mean, don't, we don't want to add to it. So we taste and see that he's good, and then we give blessing to God. Uh, there's so much more there, but I'll continue. I can at least complete one song. <laughs> Come, you children, verse. Um, excuse me, verse fifteen. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. Those who do evil to, but I'm going to start again. Okay. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servant, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. How intently are God's eyes on us? You know, we're called righteous by our faith in Jesus Christ. There's a way for the Old Testament saint, the person who believed in God and trusted in him, wasn't righteous by his works, by keeping the law, because no one could. The law wasn't given for us to prove our righteousness. It was given, we're talking the law of Moses, to prove our need for God. But you could be right with God through faith, as the faith of Abraham, et cetera. Today, it's much clearer to us that it's by faith in Jesus Christ. We're robed in his righteousness. And how intently are his eyes on us who believe. Second Chronicles 16.9, Asa is a good king until he wasn't. <laughs> Ray and I were talking and Kim the other day about when you have a person in charge who should be a really great person, really gifted and everything. It could be wonderful until it's not, until they believe their own press clippings or make a bad decision and are not accountable for it i'm so glad that i do not make decisions alone here and the guys will come to me they will come to me if i just do something on my own that's not within the realm that i've been given and i'm totally good with that because it's not based on a human personality it's based on accountability before the lord not well, that guy's so great, he'd never do that. Well, what if the next guy or gal isn't so great? Or what if that person gets a brain tumor? Or what if that person gets sinful? It's, it's great until it's not. Esau <laughs> was great until he wasn't. <laughs> He's still loved by God, but he was a good king of Judah, and he fumbled, kind of like David, by relying on Syria to deliver him from the northern kingdom, from Basha, the king of the northern ten tribes of Israel, they were battling. And and it, and then he's told by the prophet, through the, the Lord is telling him, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. It's a beautiful verse, but there's the rest of it. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on you shall have wars. So God was saying, I could have been strong for you. I'm able to be strong. But you're going to have continuing wars is going to be the reaping of what you've sowed because of walking in your unbelief. You know, there's going to be a repercussion for it. Thank God that all our repercussions will disappear when we see Jesus face to face. But I today who love Jesus, you today who love Jesus, there are, you do reap what you sow. That doesn't go away because you're a Christian. That's part of how you learn to not plant bad seeds. You know, we we used to tell our children when they were young, we pray for you, Beth, we pray for you, David, that every seed of sin you plant will pop up in a plant and give you a bloody nose as soon as possible. The quicker you suffer the reaping what you sowed, the less you're going to plant some of those stupid seeds. And, you know, we think it's so terrible that if we reap a harvest quickly, I think it's God's mercy to reap quickly and go, oh, What kind of seeds am I planting? Because if you go a long time planting seeds of sin, you're going to reap the fruit of sin. If you plant tomatoes, you will eat tomatoes, is the picture. You reap what you sow. And you reap in a different season, and you reap proportionally, and you always reap kind of more. If you look at farming, you reap more than you sow. However, praise God, it's also more than you sow and in a different season than you sow. And God is good to us, and we'll cancel some of those sometimes, but I can never guarantee that. All I can guarantee is that that in the end will be delivered. Thank you, Lord, for that. So many are the afflictions of the righteous. Did you catch that? Affliction is not necessarily a sign of judgment. So we're talking about reaping what you sow, and we're talking about Asa and his bad decisions. But listen, affliction is not necessarily a sign of judgment, but it actually can be a sign of following the right. Be as prepared to face that. If you tell your kids, just do the right thing, and good will come to you, you need to also tell them, sometimes you will get trouble for doing the right thing. And so you need to learn the difference between right and wrong and doing the right thing because it's the right thing. And because eventually, God will meet you with blessing and in heaven you will be rewarded. Every time you lower the standard to have it just be about getting blessed in this life, you're lowering people's understanding of what life is really about. So, Following the right path can bring you affliction. I'm not claiming that I, I'll use our example, and I will not claim, first of all, you have your examples that are just equal to mine, if not better, your life, your difficulties, your struggles. We're all in this, you know, equally. Some people have a lot more than I do. And I'm not claiming that I was following such a right path that every affliction was because I was doing the right thing. But if I could, now that I've made my disclaimer, if I would have run back to Oregon two years into this thing, no question, two or three years in, if I had known, I would have never come. If I had known that my daughter Beth at 19 would get MS and we didn't know if she'd recover from it because we didn't know what MS was. Some of you have MS and you know that she's living well with it at, you know, 42, I think. And she's just doing great because of how she lives healthily. If I had known that Beth would have MS, if I had known that my son would have his trouble with school and other things, if I'd known that Gail was going to get cancer and go through cancer treatment, and then a host of other things, and folks, honestly, honestly, some of them because of my own fault. Some of them because of my own fault. I'm not going to tell you how many because I don't really know. (laughs) And because you don't want to get bloodied by my difficulties. If I'd have known all these things... I would have just never come here. And I would have missed all of you. I would have missed what God is doing in Malawi. My goodness. You know, but if you're a godly witness and you're trying to honor the Lord at home, at work, everywhere, some people won't like it. They just won't like it. And some people will cause you grief. And some people will cause you brokenheartedness. And some circumstances will cause you brokenheartedness. And uh, people who tell you different, that all you've got to do is just say the prayer a certain way or give enough money to the church or blah, 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 are lying to you. Maybe their intention is good, but they're not telling you the truth. The truth is, in this world you will have tribulation. Jesus said that. But be encouraged, I have overcome the world and many are the afflictions of the righteous. And David brought his own trouble, but David was also troubled by doing right. He got trouble. It's both. It's a mixed bag because we're human. And so that's all of us. So, you know, don't stop doing good because it's hard. Don't stop doing good because it's right. And if you get grief for it, if you get grief for doing right, guess what? Keep doing right. We're not babies. We're disciples. We have a purpose that is greater than ourselves. We give in to that, we will stop in our tracks and never start again. And there's people doing it, stopping. That's not you. And that's not my excuse to stop because other people are stopping. That's my motivation to make sure that I don't stop. But overcome evil with good, Romans 12, 21. Trust the Lord to deliver you as he deems is right. Now I hear a voice. And I'm not blaming you for feeling this way if this is you. If this records with you, great. And what exactly does that mean, Rick? As God deems right, I've seen a lot of pain, and I haven't really seen the deliverance the way I thought I would. What does that even mean? Trust the Lord to deliver you as he deems right. I'm so glad you asked that question. Verse 20 is more than a hint. This is more than a hint. Okay, this is a flashing giant sign flashing at us. Verse 20 says, he guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Now, some of you are already ahead on this, and some of you this is a a learning curve, and it's a great thing for you to learn. In John nineteen thirty six, chapter 19, verse 36, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and they, they say it's getting to be sunset and the Passover's beginning, we don't want to keep these guys hanging here, we're not in the scriptures, and I won't go into all that, but so they encourage the soldiers to go and they break the legs, they hit them on the legs to crack their leg, not, There's not there was no mercy being shown, it's a little bit of mercy here is that then he can't push himself up, so he collapses, uh, can't breathe anymore, and he dies quickly. Every On a cross, that's what they would do. They went to the guy on Jesus' right. They went to the guy on Jesus' left. They come to Jesus. He's already dead. They don't crack his legs. They do put a spear in his side. Blood and water come out. There's. I'm not going to go through the whole story. Here's the point. Not a bone in Jesus' body. John the Apostle John, a Jewish man who's read the Old Testament, grew up with it all the time, but who would put all this together, only the Holy Spirit, says, these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Are you with me? This verse that we're reading that David's writing and doesn't know why he's saying it, you have more information today than David did when he wrote what he wrote. You have more knowledge about what's happening, even though he did it prophetically, and we don't know how much he saw, but we know he didn't see as clearly as you can today, the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And you know that Jesus did not have a bone broken because, as John the Baptist would say when he saw Jesus coming to be baptized, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What kind of lamb was that? Sacrificial from Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was to be, the other lambs on the altars were, the Passover lamb was to be roasted whole on a stick, on wood. Not a bone of its bodies to be broken, Exodus chapter 12. Left overnight and eaten later, it was a picture and its blood went on the doorposts and lintels of the house, and the the lintel and the doorposts of the house. And when the angel of death saw, when I see the blood, I will pass over and there will be no death in that household. The picture of the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ. And there was never going to be in any way, shape, or form That his bones would be broken so you go well but he was still killed well first of all let me back up if it was one or two or three of these kind of things that somebody pulled out and said there's three things about jesus that are the fulfillment of what the old testament said and somebody obscurely took three different verses and went see that's jesus on the cross that's jesus when he came You could make a case to say, well, that's man-made putting stuff together to make it seem like it's Jesus. I'm not mad at people, but you need to understand that people, and even podcast people and people with famous names and PhDs, speak foolishly without information. I mean, you are used to that because of politicians, right? You all believe that politicians do that. And then you hear somebody on a, on a cast who makes this heavy point, well, the Bible's full of fallacies and these things were just conjectured and it was just man putting this together. It's just, it's inane stupidity in all honesty because it's impossible. There are so many, there's over 300 direct prophecies of Jesus coming And for nine of the ones that have been fulfilled to be fulfilled the way they were fulfilled by Jesus and spoken of and have these guys who were ignorant fishermen, according to the religious leaders and the studious people, they knew the scriptures and they were able by the anointing of the spirit to say that verse was fulfilled here. Read the gospel of Matthew, thus fulfilling the verse, thus fulfilling the verse, thus fulfilling the verse about 80 times or something in the gospel of Matthew it refers back to an Old Testament verse being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's impossible. It's insanity for it to be made by men who over 1,500 years found a way to come together and work out their plan. For these guys and for Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, for them to be able to put it all together and make sense of it. You can say, I don't believe it because I just don't believe it, but you can't say there's no evidence. When people say there's no evidence, that's foolishness there's nothing like the bible there's nothing like the prophecies there's nowhere in human history there's israel where's rome today an empire and the medo persian empire today well iran is rattling its sword but these empires they disappeared who's here today in the middle of it all israel well, that's just a coincidence or man-made fulfillment. So, in other words, there is no evidence that would, 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 that you would be able to accept because you're predisposed to not believe. You're predisposed to not want to hear, no, 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 you know. We believe that something came from nothing. I know it's counterintuitive, but you have to go against your own intuition and decide that something came from nothing. That's David... Um, What's the guy's... Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins publicly said, you have to believe that something came from nothing. Would you please tell me why I have to believe that? That's such an impossible thing. Anyway, I digress. It's time to get back. Not a bone of his body, and I'm almost done, shall be broken, and we're going to share communion today together. So... It was all, the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus, and how was Jesus delivered? He suffered greatly. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Well, first, he was delivered to judgment that you, about his deliverance, what was he first delivered to? This helps you live your life before God. He was delivered for the judgment you, each and every one of you and me, every single one of us, deserved. He suffered the judgment that was my judgment, okay? But I'm never going to face it, and neither are you if you're a Christian. You will not face that judgment. He did. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was spit on. He was hung naked on a cross. The just for the unjust, he who knew no sin, he the responsibility and the judgment righteously of my sin, but not a bone in his body was broken. He felt every bone in Psalm 22, which is David's prophetic word about Jesus on the cross. I can tell, I can feel every bone. And he also says in Psalm 22, all my bones are out of joint. So the bones come into play, but the bones don't get broken. You know, when a bone is broken, the production of, of the blood through the marrow kind of ceases for a while until it starts healing. Isn't that interesting? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the word takes away was to take upon himself or carry is the best translation Hebrews two ten and eleven says this. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to be called them to call them brethren. So it says, the captain of our salvation is Jesus. He was made perfect through suffering. Don't be stumbled by that. It doesn't mean he was imperfect until he suffered. It means his perfection was completed. The perfect spotless lamb of God without sin was able to complete the work that was intended for him that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit said, yes, this is how we will save Kathy Joss. This is the only way. For us to save. Marla Jordan. This is the only way. Be to your name. It was the right thing to bring us to glory through suffering. Because we're made one with him. We're set apart with him. And he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. He's not bummed about what he went through. Many are the afflictions of the righteous one. And the Lord delivered him. You know, the end of Psalm 22 and the end of Isaiah 53 talk about the glory. The resurrection is the glory. The ascension to heaven is the glory. The sending of the Holy Spirit's the glory. Jesus shall return on a white horse and vanquish mankind and bring all of us to his kingdom who believe in him and trust in him and deal fully and finally with the evil of this world and Satan because he's victorious over all of it, like the song we sang at the beginning. Jesus said to his disciples that were walking on the road of Emmaus and were confused after the bear- death, the understanding, and the disciples, there was confusion uh, with the women coming from the tomb, and they had left Jerusalem walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're talking about it, and Jesus asks him about it, and he says, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ, Luke 24, 26, ought not the Messiah to have suffered these things? and to enter his glory. Jesus' suffering was purposeful, it was necessary, and it had an intended end that God fulfilled through him. And he's not ashamed. Now, this is the point of repeating the gospel to you. Because it's here, because it's here, because it's here every single day, all the time. Jesus is not ashamed to stand by you, to stand with you, to deliver you even from your stupid decisions because he stood up for you in your place. Rick, I've heard this message from you alone a thousand times. If that's true, I say hallelujah. Rick, I've heard this message a thousand times. Okay, my question is, have you heard it enough to not be ashamed to suffer with him? The question isn't, have you heard this message a lot? Have you heard it enough to not be ashamed to suffer with him? Don't bother telling me Nobody's going to do that. I don't get the letters and the things. Nobody, I don't think very many people care about what I say. Hopefully you do. <laughs> I don't think anybody out there really has a big I'm not like big cheese out there. And that's okay. I'm not worried about that. I'm concerned for the people that I get to have eye contact with and people that listen and people that we relate to know the truth fully. who need to walk in the truth fully. Who don't need Americanized, Westernized, man madeized Christianity. Add God to your life like you add salt to your meat to give it a little flavor. That's not Christianity. You are bought with a price. Do not be the servants of men. You are bought with a price. And I will never and if I do throw me out of here, then I'm done. Get tired of teaching, preaching, focusing on. And the question is not, have you heard it a thousand times? Have you heard it enough? Jesus said in Luke 9:44 to his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to be crucified. And he said, let this saying or these words sink down into your ears. Let it sink down into your ears. The next verse. Yeah, no, it's right there, sorry. Let these words sink down into your ears. That's the question. Because it really couldn't penetrate though their ears until the resurrection. Even though he if you just kind of look at the whole story, it says they could not understand, they could not see until Jesus was resurrected and the Holy Spirit came and then they went Ah, now I get it. And you're there now if you let the Holy Spirit show you. So Peter echoes this understanding in 1 Peter 5:10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. What's he going to (laughs) do? He's getting up. Strengthen, establish, and settle you. Uh, We're going to take communion. It's going to be passed, and we're going to do it together. But before we do, one more thought. Have you heard it enough to not be ashamed of him? You know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I know and I hope I'm not like a wasted, broken record. I don't think so. The fact that you and I are more worried sometimes about what people think about us than whether they're getting saved Should bring us to our knees. You know, this isn't to make you feel guilty. It's to make you aware of your need, so that your need can be met. You and I need something, because we're more worried about what people think about us than we are about their salvation. Now, if I please help the rest of us get better, but we got we need to get better at this. We need to be set free. We need to be free, and here's where the freedom starts, though. When I was in Malawi teaching about the flesh versus the spirit, we got to Romans 8. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh, and how God condemns sin in the flesh. And I I used exactly what Tom Carter said. He didn't condemn us, he condemned sin in the flesh. And I was talking about the difference between conviction, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin to repent, versus condemnation, which pushes you away from God, which is the enemy's way to make you live under condemnation. You've been delivered from that. And when I was talking and I was saying conviction, and, and Edwin says, we actually don't have a word for conviction. The same word is condemnation or conviction. I was like, oh, but they're not the same. They just don't have a word. He goes, but I I got a word I can use that is the right word. So he used that word. So then, Skip, can I use you? Can you get up for a minute come here? Ladies and gentlemen, the amazing and wonderful Skip Joss. So, So I had Edwin's next condemnation. When the enemy is whispering in your ear, this voice, see if you've heard this voice. You're such a loser. You did it again. You always do the same thing. You're never going to get better. Why even bother going to God? He's so sick of hearing from you. You're never going to change. You ought to just go eat some worms. You're done. You're an idiot. You're a fool. It's hopeless for you. Has anybody heard that voice? Yeah. That's not the voice of God. It's talking to you. No matter how Rick presents, if Rick gets too heavy or some other pastor, Don't receive condemnation. It's never pushing you away from God. But here's the voice of God in conviction. And I grabbed that. Edwin was much smaller, so (laughs) and I said, I said, Hey man, come here, man. You know what you what you did to that man yesterday was wrong. And you know it, and he knows it, and I know it. And I want you to you need to repent to me, and you need to repent to him. And listen to me, listen to me. I for, if you turn to me, as you, I forgive you. You're forgiven. He may not forgive you, but even if he doesn't forgive you, I forgive you, and I want you to get closer to me. Don't pull away. We're going to get over this. We're going to get over this because you're mine, and I'm yours. Thank you, Skip. This is, so I didn't know if he had a right word. I wanted to make sure that the people understood the difference between condemnation of the enemy, of your own heart's failure, and conviction of the spirit. The Lord will tell you you're wrong. The Lord will tell you you're wrong. it will also tell you in the same breath, I love you, you're mine, And we are going to get through this because you are going to walk with me. And on that basis, we go to the table of the Lord and we receive a cleansing sense and awareness and a renewing of heart to remember him with everything till he comes. And I'm not going to tell you what you have to seek him about in your own heart. There could be something we haven't talked about today that you know is very close to your heart. But wouldn't you like to be free to stop worrying so much about what people think about you, about what you're going to do if stuff goes wrong? Wouldn't you like to be free from that? Do you really want to be free? You're only going to find it in Jesus. He's here for you. Can we have the girls come up? I called these girls out on just a lark here, so maybe we could have the lights. I love you, you Lord, Lord. For your, your mercy, mercy, mercy never, never fails me. All my days, All my days I've been held in your, your hands. From, From the, the moment, moment that I wake up, Till I I lay lay my my head